Welcome to Phone Messages, episode 163, Your Machine's On. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play message number nine from Joel Waller. And it most likely comes soon after he left his previous message from episode 159. In that message, he recounted an eclectic mix of songs he had compiled for a composition course with the theme of the War on Drugs. In the episode, I introduced the message as coming from the winter of 1990, but it also could have come from the spring of that year. The message is 15 seconds long. Here we go. Hey, Paul. Joel. Guess we're not home. Your machine's on. It's Wednesday night. So, um, hey, man. Love you. I'll see you. Bye. Sounds like I'm just calling to see if you'll pick up the phone. It was not a super happy period of my life. I think I was probably pretty lonely. You know, I didn't really get to know that many other English students, but in some ways, my interests were kind of already moving in a different direction. I, I ended up sort of really gravitating toward the women's studies program. Do you remember any particular women's studies classes? Like the theory courses interested me a lot, but I also took a course on Virginia Woolf was interesting. Another one was a lot of it was about women's slave narratives. Those were great. And uh, Marlene Longnecker was the main professor. She passed away several years back now. But but anyway, Mar- Marlene Longnecker was just a great professor, and everybody, I think, agreed with me about that. She was just a great teacher and mentor. She had this amazing collection of political buttons from over the years. My favorite was a button she had. Of course, Columbus is right in the middle of the country, pretty much. And she had a button that said, smash bicoastal arrogance. And she was this old hippie, sort of. You know, when she was in Buffalo in grad school, had been smuggling draft resistors into Canada in the trunk of her car, apparently, and dropped out for a while to raise sheep and marijuana, I guess, in British Columbia. And she just was a character and had a lot of great stories. Shifting topics a little, do you remember the first record you bought? The first album I bought was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Elton John. That would have been it. But of course, my mom had records, some of which I really liked. Like she had a Simon and Garfunkel record that I played a lot. How did your taste kind of evolve when you were young to include such a diverse group of artists? Like some of the stuff on that crazy tape. So some of those are records I got into in high school, like the Velvet Underground and especially the New York Dolls. And then, you know, but getting into jazz, that's what I played in college. That was because I got to Chicago and learned about the AACM. And I had gotten kind of interested in jazz in high school. I was hanging out quite a bit with Gordon Gano and and the Violent Femmes, and, and they were big jazz fans. Not so much Gordon, but especially Victor and and Brian Ritchie. And I, Victor was more friendly. And so I also might have gotten some tips from him. How did you meet the members of the Violent Femmes? Gordon went to my high school. He was a year ahead of me. So we would have lunch and he would sometimes come over after school and we would listen to records and he was a nice guy he was pretty confrontational in certain ways in terms of school like he sometimes would 
do things like show up wearing his bathrobe, like overclothing, but wearing his bathrobe or he wore opera gloves. So he got in trouble sometimes for wearing distracting clothing. <laughs> and oh, and he had a dog collar that he wore quite a bit. <laughs> it was one of those leather ones, you know, like with spikes. What high school is this? Rufus King. So it was a public high school in Milwaukee, but it was the magnet school. It was the college-bound magnet school. Anyway, so Gordon, he was in this like far south, I think in like a suburb. And that's one thing we had in common is we both came from the suburbs to go to this desegregated city high school. So what was the common thing that brought you to this particular school? Well, I'm not sure for Gordon, but I know he hated Oak, whatever it was. He did not seem to like it from what I could tell and thought it was really boring. I think we both, it was a kind of idea of some kind of uh, urban multicultural, you know, high school instead of going to a boring, segregated white school. I, I think also I thought it would be academically better, and it probably was. Way back in episode eight of this podcast, I discussed my experience of St. Paul's school desegregation plan. In response to a U.S. District Court ruling that Minneapolis schools were illegally segregated, in 1974, the Minnesota State Board of Education created a rule that prohibited schools from having minority enrollments more than 15 percentage points higher than the district-wide average of minority students. Similar to Minnesota, it was not until the courts required Milwaukee end segregation in 1976 that the school district implemented a plan to integrate their schools. Unfortunately, the plan was designed primarily to accommodate the desires of white parents, since a central fear among leaders was that whites would flee to suburban and private schools. As a consequence, African-American kids were more likely to be bused outside of their neighborhoods, while white kids could mostly choose their local schools. Another strategy the district used to boost integration was the creation of magnet schools, which were designed to attract white students from outside their neighborhoods. One of these magnet schools was Rufus King High School, which became focused on college prep. But the choice of Rufus King was not universally popular because it meant excluding many kids who lived in the high school's mostly African-American neighborhood from going to the school. The same year Milwaukee constructed their desegregation plan, the Wisconsin State Legislature created a program to encourage the mixing of suburban and urban students. Called Chapter 220, it was this program that allowed Joel, who lived in Shorewood, and Gordon Gano, whose father was a Baptist minister in Hales Corner, to attend Rufus King High School. Rufus King continues to be a top-rated high school with an international baccalaureate program, although in the most recent U.S. news rankings, it had dropped below Shorewood High School, the school Joel chose not to attend. More troubling, 45 years after the court order to end segregation, 70% of African-American students in Milwaukee 
now attend hypersegregated schools, according to a report by a researcher at UW-Milwaukee. This is an increase from 29% in 1995 and reflects a trend throughout the United States of school resegregation. Turning to the more cheerful topic of music, I am happy to say I saw the Violent Femmes perform a couple of times as an undergraduate at the University of Chicago. Once in Mandel Hall in the spring of 1984, and two years later, also in spring, outdoors in Hutchinson Courtyard. Thanks to a wonderful practice by the Chicago Maroon of publishing the budget for the Major Activities Board, we can trace the increased value of the band. Their fee went from $3,000 in 1984 to $9,500 in 1986. After breaking up a couple of times since then, the group is now back together and performing. You can follow them at their website, vfems.com, and you can follow me at pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. The interview was edited this week by Sadie Levin. Many thanks to her and to Joel for sharing his high school registry. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.